This morning we're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 7. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7 again. Uh, Two weeks ago we looked into this passage and I changed the order of uh, the different Sunday morning sermons. Uh, uh, But uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7, 14 through 23, really finishing the thought uh, and completing a thought that Christ has laid out uh, here in this passage as he was dealing with the Pharisees and the idea of tradition. And you might be wondering, or maybe you aren't wondering, but the title of the message is No More Junk Food. Uh, I, tried to come out, I try to be creative sometimes, but I'm not the most creative person, so when something actually sticks, and honestly, I'll be willing to admit, this probably isn't the best title for this sermon, but I liked it so much I gave it to it anyway. So don't think that the overall theological theme is coming from the title of this sermon. But all of us, speaking of junk food, all of us, eat it, right? Well, maybe some of you don't anymore. Maybe you've weeded yourself off of it. I have not. Uh, I, was, I was ruined when I was a kid. Uh, many, most of you know that I grew up at Camp Kobiak, and during the summer months, uh, during the summer program, the 10-week summer camp program and stuff, my parents allowed me and my siblings two free things from the snack shop every single day. That was on top of the dessert at every meal, uh, that was on top of knowing where they hid the ch- cookie dough. That was on top of a lot of different things. So I had a lot of junk food growing up. In fact, my parents, uh, laughing, said they probably were horrible parents in letting us eat all of that sugar. Uh, in fact, my dad even took me to Sam's Club to buy all the candy for the snack shop. So that was actually really cool to see $700 worth of candy on a flatbed uh, and walking out of the store with it. But junk food carries no nutritional value to our bodies. Uh, you know, it, it, we eat it because we like the way it tastes. You know, we live in a world where really our mind and heart eat too much junk food, really. There's a lot of things that we read, that we, that we spend our time thinking on, meditating on, that really could be kind of labeled as junk food. They really don't have a whole lot of value in it. We live in a world that tries to sell us Going back to even just the physical aspect of food that, I mean, we have Taco Bell five minutes walking distance from here. As much as it tastes good, there's not a whole lot of nutritional value in it. But we have these kinds of things all around us. Well, on a spiritual level, the world we live in, and unfortunately, we as Christians have fallen prey to really eating too much junk food in our spiritual lives. We allow the wrong things into our life And oftentimes, we are not actually living the holy life that God wants us to live. We allow the dirtiness of life, the things that defile us, to creep into our lives and defile us, to to, to taint our lives with sin. You see, the outside veneer, really the world, is, and so on the heels of Jesus calling out the Pharisees for pushing their legalistic oral tradition and elevating it, to the level of God and his word, Jesus here is explaining that we can live as righteous and holy on the outside as we want, but it won't last because it's really just a veneer because it is is on the inside that matters. Let's look at verse 14 of Mark 7. It says, After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. 
When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, our out, for from within out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, deeds and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Our main truth this morning is simply that we need to invest our energy in relishing Christ and not relishing public perception. And what do I, what do I mean by this? I, I, when we think of what Christ is talking about here and telling the disciples, he's telling them that what is on the inside is going to manifest the outside, on the outside. What is in your heart is going to manifest on the outside. But oftentimes, as the Pharisees, they ended up having all these different things and, and really they were focused on the outward manifestation of someone's life. They, they cared more about really the perception. Really, it's a challenge. God is challenge, Christ is challenging the, the disciples here. Listen, it's not what's on the outside. It's not whether or not you wash your hands. It's not whether or not you eat certain foods. And it doesn't matter whether the Pharisees think that is what you should do or other religious leaders or other Jews think that's what you should do and whether or not that those things defile you. Here's what defiles you. And we need to see that the truth of Christ, the truth of God, is what we need to relish, not whether or not we have all these other things set in place to quote-unquote be holy. See, the Pharisees had, and we talked about this two weeks ago, the Pharisees had elevated their oral tradition, the Mishnah, at the same level as Scripture and ultimately above it. And we talked about he, even us in the church today, we have elevated things that if we were to pull them out of church, we would think that we're doing something wrong as a church. There are things that we do as tradition that have been down through the years. It's church history. It's church tradition. But it's not necessary. If we did not do it, it would not be anti-biblical. It would not be against God. And oftentimes, those things, even in our lives, we, have, we elevate. I'll use a silly illustration. The idea of, and, and I use it here because we don't use this program, so I'm, I'm safe. But Awana, okay? Awana is a children's program that, that has wonderful aspects to it. But I have been in churches that if you pull Awana out, people would leave the church. That is elevating tradition to the level of gospel. Because there's nothing... Now, is there anything wrong Someone's, in things like that? With, and we have a children's program. I'm not saying that we don't minister to our children. But the, the, the level at which we elevate a program, so to speak, if we are elevating, say, if we go away from that, 
then therefore we are not being a biblical church. That would be wrong. So here, Jesus is going, and he's going so much deeper. Have you ever done counseling with somebody, and they give you, or even you're just talking with your spouse or a friend, and you're talking about God's word at a certain level? Or you're talking about the Christian life at a certain level, and, and the person that you're talking with says, well, let's, take it a let's go a level deeper. See, Jesus isn't focused on the outward appearance. He's saying, what matters is your heart. And really, the sermon this morning is really emphasizing, I want to emphasize our hearts, not so much what we do on the outside. Because really, in this passage, Jesus does just that. And so, when we think and compare this scripture with other passage of scripture that Jesus himself said, and even the Apostle Paul and Peter, we see that it is important that we relish Christ rather than relishing public perception and allowing tradition and, and what we do to be the, the, the measuring stick for our spiritual lives. And really this morning is, is an opportunity for us to evaluate where are we in our sanctification. Really this passage is, is, is a, a discussion of, of the Christian sanctification. And so... When we think of what Christ has said, he says early in the Gospel of Matthew and his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6.21, he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Christ emphasized the heart. It wasn't, he didn't emphasize the outside. It's what the Pharisees did. In fact, in this passage, the, it, he, they're the people that Jesus is speaking to, he references the hypocrites. And he's saying right before this, he's talking about how there are those who fasted for just the purpose of having, looking spiritual. The way they prayed was spiritual amongst those around them. And here, Jesus comes in verse 21 of Matthew 6 and says, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Your heart is what matters. And so our first point this morning is that our outward actions reveal our inward reality. Our outward reactions reveal our inward reality. As we looked at this passage prior, the, the earlier paragraph of, of Jesus going and, and really putting down the aspect of and really criticizing and, and really in a... In, a, not a, in somewhat of a judging way, calling out the Pharisees for their, for their false teaching, for the fact that they neglected, verse 8, the commandment of God you hold to the tradition of men. They literally ne ne the, the ne they neglected the commandments of God. Again, that is revealing their heart. They didn't care about God. They didn't care about Christ. They wanted to look a certain way. They wanted to live a way they wanted, they wanted to live. And so they used law and, and list standards and regulations to, quote-unquote, in their piety, to set fences around the law, to protect the law, to protect God's commands. But in all reality, it was actually elevating, the fence got elevated higher than the law. And so we see in verses 14 and 15, Jesus explicitly is stating 
That it's not what is on the outside that defiles a person. It's not what you eat. It's not how you, the dirt that gets on your skin. It's not how, all the different things that the Pharisees would push with the, the oral tradition. Jesus says, listen to me, all of you, and understand. He's telling them, this is what you need to understand. That nothing outside the man can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Now, at, at surface reading, when you read these two verses, it's, it's like, well, and at least in my mind, I'm like, well, if, if something outside and I eat it, it goes into my body, and, and it can make me sick, you know, defile my body. I mean, but really what Jesus is doing here is he's actually taking the physical and then he's jumping directly into a spiritual. And that the outward actions of a man are driven from the inward truth about their heart. What is true about your heart is going to manifest itself on the outside. In fact, it's interesting that even the disciples struggled with this. Look at verse 18. He says, And he said to them, Are you so lacking? So after the crowd, now he's alone with just the disciples, and the disciples still hadn't understood. And Jesus goes and says, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand? That whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. You know, it's interesting that one of the end of, we know that Peter was one of the disciples. You know, a few years later, Peter is still struggling with this truth. So we're not alone if we struggle with this concept. Peter, Peter struggled with it. Over in Acts 10, 10 through 16, Luke writes, He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a, vo a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. This vision is prompting Peter and eventually ends up prompting him to go and minister to the Gentiles. But Peter struggled with this concept that Jesus has talked about years prior to what's going on here in Acts 10. He struggled with the idea that, there was, that all these other laws, all these other things were not just as important as Scripture. That there are certain things he could not eat and he could, and he could eat. He struggled with those. His very conscience struggled with it and God finally told, he told him, listen Peter, it's okay. So Jesus first confronts the, going back to our, our text this morning, he first here, as I've read in verse 18, he confronts the disciples and you can, have you ever taught people that just aren't getting it? Ever been a teacher? And it's like, I've just explained this, said it two or three times and you, are you seriously not getting this? Now, I don't know if Jesus said it quite like that, but I mean, you look at the text here and he says, are you so lacking in understanding also? 
Do you not understand? And the disciples weren't understanding it. And so he goes on and he becomes a little more descriptive with the disciples. Look at verse uh, 19, the end of verse 19. That which proceeds out of a man, that is what defiles the man. For, and so now he gets specific. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed, and he gives this list of things. Now depending on one commentator I, I read, actually says there's 12 characteristics here, and he uses the uh, idea of evil thoughts as kind of an all-encompassing thing for the rest of the list. This is just free information. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change the interpretation of the text here. Uh, but we see 12 or 13 things basically here that God uses to describe the heart of man. So really what we see is the depravity of man here. See, apart from God's grace, apart from salvation, we cannot do good, we see in Romans chapter 3. This is, this is a description of the wickedness of man. So let's take a few, a few minutes here, just a minute or two, and evaluate our hearts and see this morning where we are living more like our depraved flesh than our sovereign Savior. Evil thoughts. This is the idea of devising its schemes. And really one, one has put it that it's setting the stage for really what follows. Because really all these things you can come up with and you can think through, it takes evil thoughts, it takes scheming to accomplish them. And oftentimes in our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, when we seek to sin, we're scheming, we're having evil thoughts on how we're going to carry out that sin. And he gives a list here, the idea of, he says, for evil thoughts, and then he goes, and he says, fornications, that is the idea of sexual immorality. It's the general word uh, for identifying any and all types of sexual sin, whether it be uh, premarital, extramarital, or any unnatural sexual behavior. He goes from there to talk about theft, mentions theft, the idea of stealing, taking from another what is not yours. Murder, taking an innocent life. Adultery, violating the marriage covenant by engaging in sexual behavior mentally or physically with someone you are not married to. There's greed. This is a coveting, a desire for more at the expense of or exploitation of another. What about the idea here in different translations, use different words here, but, the, but the, the big idea here is this idea of maliciousness, wickedness, or evil actions. What this is, is it's behavior that is bad, wicked, it's deliberate malice. We have deceit. And as much as I would love to expand on some of these, we don't have time this morning to do that. But deceit is deception, dishonesty, cunning treachery. The next one is sensuality or licentiousness, promiscuity. It's, it's an unbridled, shameless living that is lacking in moral discernment or restraint. And we see the word envy. One person actually summarized envy and slander all together as that of an evil eye. This idea of wanting 
uh, something that is not yours. It's this idea of jealousy. It's rooted in, and then really, it's something that's rooted in unbelief. It believes God is withholding his best from you. And then we have blasphemy, the idea of slander, defaming, speaking evil of man or of God. We have pride and foolishness, which is really just a spiritual insensitivity. You know, the world does not like Jesus' assessment of where life receives its problems and defilement. If we were to go to a street corner this morning, this afternoon, or whatever, and preach, and I preach this text, there wouldn't be a whole lot of people lining up to listen. Because the world doesn't want to hear this. The world doesn't want to hear how bad they are. In fact, if we're all honest this morning, us sitting here, we don't want to hear how bad we are. And as a Christian, these are things that can defile us. But the joy of it is that we know from the New Testament that we have the Spirit of God in us who helps give us victory over our depraved nature because of what Christ has done for us. But we know that Jesus is emphasizing the idea that it is not the outward appearance. It's not what we do on the outside. It's not the, the externals. But it's on the heart is what defiles us. 1 Samuel 16, 7 resonates this same truth when the Lord is speaking to Samuel and says, Do not look at the appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks at our hearts. What is defiling you this morning? See, our second point this morning as we think about our outward actions revealing our inward reality. Our next point is that our inward reality I didn't realize I had the verses on the screen. Our inward reality must be founded on biblical truth. And you see other references mentioned there because it's interesting in this text that Jesus does not give a positive. <laughs> you know, sometimes with Paul, he'll give all the negative. Like, go to Galatians 5. He says, he says get rid of this stuff in your life. Here's things that you should get rid of and then later in the chapter of chapter 5, what does he say? Now, let the fruit of the Spirit, this is what you are to do. This is how you are to live. And Jesus doesn't, actually, it stops right here. And he, talk about, I, I hope there's more conversation that's not in the text. Because I feel bad for the disciples. <laughs> They're sitting there having the discussion and God tells them how bad man's heart is. And then the conversation's over. You know, when you walk through the exchange with someone, and any time I've walked through the exchange with individuals, talking about the first two lessons talk about God's holiness and his justice. When you genuinely look at those two things, it's negative. There's not a whole lot of positive feeling coming out of that. But then we see God's grace and his love. But as we think about our inward reality needing to be different, needing to be Christ-like. There are three passages of Scripture, three verses that came to my mind. 
before we get to those three verses briefly, I just want to take and kind of even, I took the, the, the 13 things and I kind of changed some of the, and put a little more application to them. When we think of evil desire, our heart is desire to get what you want through evil scheming. Do you seek to do something evilly? Evilly. That's not even a word in their grammatical, our dictionary, our grammatical book. That's not even something either. But anyways. Do you scheme to get what you want? Do you come up with thoughts in your mind on how you are going to get what you want? Do you have uncontrolled sexual desires? They're not fulfilled, so you scheme to get it a different way. Maybe you don't have money for what you want, but you think you deserve it, and so you try to come up with a way of stealing it. The idea of murder here is taking an innocent life, but oftentimes, Lord willing, there's no one here that has done this. But, you know, the attitude behind murder is an extreme version of greed, jealousy, hatred. Adultery, are you discontent with the marriage God has given you? Are you desiring for more, the idea of greed, are you desiring for more at the expense or the exploitation of another person? Are you going out of your way to hurt someone else to better you in some fashion? The idea of maliciousness. Have you, are you, have, have you deceived someone recently? Remember when you were a kid and you didn't want to get in trouble? So you tried to deceive your parents? Remember one instance where my sister and I were in our parents' bedroom jumping on their bed? <laughs> and we heard my, I don't, I think we thought it was my dad. Or anyways, we heard someone coming down the hallway. So we jumped down on the other side of the bed from the door. Obviously, we're not very good hiding. My dad asked me, asks us, what did you guys, were you guys jumping on our bed? And I don't know if I did it out of fear of my own life or whatever the case may be. And it was almost simultaneous. Ashley and I both said an answer. Boy, was I glad I was on the right end of that one. My sister got it. I didn't because I answered properly. But why, but why do we answer like that? Why do we answer in a negative and, and, and lie and, and try to do things that deceive? I don't typically like to use personal illustrations, but these are so goofy that at least I don't feel bad using them. When I was in high school, my sister and I were throwing the ball around in the house like we aren't supposed to. My mom had a candlestick with like a stained glass kind of thing to tr catch all the wax. And it knocked that candle over and broke a piece out of it. So, as a smart 17-year-old, 16-year-old, I went and found the scotch tape. I went and took a piece of scotch tape and I taped that piece back in. I think it was three years ago, or a few years ago, we were talking about moves and stuff that our family had made. And it's like, hey, Mom, you know those candlesticks that we're on the end table next to the couch. She's like, yeah. I was like, you know, did you ever realize that I broke that? She's like, no. I'm like, sweet, it worked. <laughs> Not saying, kids, if you're throwing balls around, Andrew, and 
oven if you're throwing balls around the house. Don't use scotch tape to fix it, okay? Um, but when, when we look at, at life and we look at the, all these different things that defile us, pride, we are liars if we say pride doesn't affect us. We are such arrogant people. And if you really think about the text, this is one that clearly is in this text. The Pharisees were arrogant individuals. So if we were to put all this together, Jesus here is repudiating the Pharisees by declaring to them and the disciples that not washing your hands or doing work on the Sabbath doesn't con- it does not constitute breaking God's law. But it do- and it does not constitute sinning before God. It's our heart is what matters. Our core inner man of what we looked at last week that's what matters. See, we need, we need God's power and love. We need to be seeking it and understanding it if we are going to live undefiled lives. We as Christians place such a premium on, on the outward. Maybe even this morning, some of you are putting on an outward veneer so that people around don't see the struggles you're having with sin. And oftentimes, we, it even gets us to the point where we skew the inner reality of our lives. We, we, it really skews our mind into thinking that we're actually better than we are. We do this as churches. We struggle to take an honest assessment of where we are as a church often. Well, we have this going on and this going on and this going on and this going on. But are we taking the time to genuinely assess where we are spiritually? Because it's the heart that matters. Are you internally letting the grace and mercy of God shape you? Are you using incorrect application or interpretation to cover your sin and elevate your public standing? Warren Wearsby put compared these two the, this passage of scripture fairly well, and so I, I, I took the two columns, and he compares man's traditions and God's truth. And he compares, and he says, man's tradition is, is full of outward forms. And it really, it really is enslaving. There's, the, the rules are very trifling. There's an outward piety and ultimately, they neglect or even replace the Word of God. Whereas God's truth, there's an inward faith. And we see from Paul in Galatians 5, and, and really the whole letter to the Galatians, this idea of liberty that we have in Christ. There's fundamental principles that God's truth gives to us that we can count on all the time, every day of our life, on how to live. We don't have to wonder. It doesn't fluctuate based on the people that we're with. Because this church says this, and this church says this, and this Christian says this. No, we live on the word of God, not on this outward manifestation of how we're to look. Because there's true inward holiness with God's truth. It's not just this outward piety. And see, God's truth exalts God's word. Because it is God's word. And so these three verses that I 
kind of use as just support for what, what this positive side of things, of really having an inward reality that is, that is holy and righteous. And one of the first verses that came to my mind, it was Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Joshua is given the command to not let the law, God's words and commands, to depart from his mouth. And when I've studied this verse, I just kind of, a lot of times when I've read this verse, I'm like, okay, that first phrase, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, it just means he needs to internalize it and it shouldn't, be a, it shouldn't let it leave his life. But if we take Scripture literally here, I really do believe that God is saying, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Talk about it. Proclaim it. If we're going to have the proper inward reality our lives have got to be filled with the Word of God, and the Word of God ought to be on our mouth all the time. Because it says, You shall meditate on it day and night. It's really the idea, this idea of meditation is talking Scripture to yourself. Do you just sit at home and do people wonder, Are you, are you going mad because you're just talking about Scripture to yourself? Just talking about Scripture to yourself. Meditating on it. Letting it seep into your... Because why? That you may be careful to do all that according as it is written. As, as is written in it. Why do we meditate on God's Word? Why do we not allow it to, to depart from our mouths and contemplate it? Because in order to speak it, you have to contemplate it. Why is it to be this way? It's so that we can be careful to do all that it says. If we want to live lives that are not being defiled... If we're to live by the Spirit of God and allow our sanctification to progress and not become a stumbling block in our own lives and allow things to cause us to stumble, God's Word, God tells Joshua here, is the importance of meditation that he would know how to live and how to be watchful to live according to God's Word. Not alongside it. It's not that we elevate certain things alongside God's Word. Or, or instead of God's word, it's, it's God's word. And that's where success and prosperity comes from. It's from living God's way. Matthew 4.4 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus is speaking here. This is when he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And he uses the word of God multiple times to defeat temptation. All these things that Jesus tells us in Mark 7 that defile us, all those things, we, we are not above being tempted to do those things. How are we going to keep the defilement of sin out of our lives? It's that we live by the word of God. The Pharisees added things to the Word of God. Do we add to the Word of God? And then the third verse comes from Proverbs. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. 
The word used here, watch, is being used imperatively. It is a command for us to watch over, guard, or fortify our hearts. If we're going to keep the defilement out of our lives, we need to fortify our hearts. We are to do this guarding with earnest. It is the idea of bringing our heart into custody. As I was looking at this verse briefly, it's interesting. The word for watch in the Hebrew here is the idea of guard. But then it's a different kind of word. It really, for diligence, it's also been translated, maybe in your translation you're looking at, is it's vigilance. It's really that word there, that the phrasing there is the idea of bringing your heart into custody. It's this idea of protection and care. Are you guarding your heart? Are you bringing it into custody? Are you protecting it? Because the things that defile us are going to come from our heart. Remember Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is there will your heart be also. But Matthew, going back to Mark 7, we see these truths. These are the things that defile us. Man's tradition is laced with inconsistencies and false piety that only neglects and potentially replaces God's word. And when we begin to allow man's tradition to be what, man, what we live by, it is opening up doors for this defilement to enter into our lives. Now, it's not to say that when we think of this, it's in, and we're not going to do away with all law, we're not going to start living without law, without rules. God's given us rules. Those are the rules we live by. Because we know that Paul states in Romans 6.1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? So the message this morning is not giving you license to sin. We do not live without restraint, but that our heart is shaped by God's grace that teaches us to live seriously and righteously and godly in this world. Titus 2. Tradition and an excessive application and laws will not teach our hearts. It is God's grace using God's word, illuminated by God's spirit, with God's power because of God's son, that we can, we can and ought to be guarding our hearts. It is God. We need to humble ourselves this morning and admit where we have allowed tradition to drive our personal and ecclesiastical ministry and service to God. We need to admit where we have become blinded by evaluating serving God and what we have always done and get busy evaluating our relationship and serving God by what God's Word says and on our relationship with God, not on what we do. Where is your heart with God this morning? Is he the primacy of your life? See, if God's word is not the sole authority, but has been joined by something else, then we have entered pride and self-indulgence into the scene. Pharisees added things because they wanted to live life their way, in essence. What are you adding to your life to get and live the way you want? We must be living in a way that seeks to root out the defilement in our lives. We need to be living with God's word permeating it. 
We need our inward reality to reflect God's word as God's word is the foundation to a heart that seeks after God. Because we need to invest our energy in relishing Christ, not relishing public perception. Because relishing Christ will produce a proper public perception that will be hated by the wicked and encouraging to the righteous. Let's not live defiled lives. Let's not allow our hearts to be defiled by the sin that is around us. Let's not elevate tradition and, and things that we do to the same level of God's word. That we'd be faithful to God's word, that we'd be faithful to Christ and live out this Christ-likeness in our lives. Because it is out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. It is from your heart. It is the inward reality that will manifest itself on the outside. Where it, what is your inward reality this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior and your inward reality is lost. Please see me today or, or somebody that we would be able to talk to you about the wonderful, glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christian, if, if, it's, if, you're, if there are things in your heart this morning that are defiling you, get it right. Humble yourself before God. Because it's not how you look to us that makes you clean or unclean, holy or unholy. It's what's in your heart. You can walk around fooling all of us, but you can't fool God. So I pray that we be a people that is investing our energy not in relishing a facade, a veneer of spirituality, but that we are genuinely relishing Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace in our lives. I do pray this morning that there's one that does not know you as their Lord and personal Savior, Lord, that they would make that decision today. They would see their need for you. Lord, I pray that. And for the Christian, the believer here this morning, that we would humble ourselves before you and We'd be honest where there might be defilement going on in our lives. Whether it be one of these 12, 13 things or something else, that we wouldn't leave this morning, this building today, without making that right with you. And that through your grace, we would continue to grow in Christ likeness. We thank you and we praise you for these things. In your name we pray, amen.